Hello, I'm Bentley. And I'm Samuel. And this is the Re-View Podcast. Podcast. And this one is right down the middle of the plate. When we're doing a rewatch of the classic canon, then you've got to hit high noon at some point. And you must be thinking, oh, this is going to be 30 minutes of Bentley talking about another old black and white movie. Blah, 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 blah. But it's not. Well, so this is where I get to throw in from something in my generation. Overwatch, which was, you know, took the world by storm in 2016 and remains a very potent cultural force. You know, still logs millions of players every day. One of the main heroes on the box art is this cowboy-looking guy. And his catchphrase is, it's high noon. Like, so <laughs> this movie, ha- there's still a cultural, like a very concrete cultural footprint that has been carried over to one of the biggest pieces of media the past 10 years comes directly from High Noon. So, And High Noon inspired one of the classic episodes of the first Star Trek series. It gets remade in the early 80s in the wake of the success of Alien, right? They throw Sean Connery into space as the Gary Cooper character, right? A lawman who has to stand alone on this space station. But it's just High Noon in space. So it has stood through all of these different media and all of these decades. But why? Because it comes out in 1952 at a time when the Western is the dominant genre at the movies for Americans. Uh, Westerns are just getting cranked out at all levels. Many of them, you know, we still do remember. Why does this one stand out? I think it's because it's a classical kind of good and evil storyline. And that even though you can, you know, you can take it and put it in space, and you can put it in, you know, the Old West, you can put it anywhere at any time. You could tell this story in uh, ancient Greece if you wanted to. It's a story about when do you stop running Mm -hmm. from evil, and Mm -hmm. when do you start fighting? This is a question we've seen and we've mentioned on the podcast in stuff like Andor. This is a question that our media is constantly grappling with in relation to the rise of fascism. These are constantly questions that we have to ask ourselves if we want to remain vigilant. When do you run and when do you fight? Right. This is a movie about when you fight. And I love that the evil actually isn't shown. It's all a piece of revenge for something that happened five years ago. Right. Like the the movie is not the action of the evil. Yeah. It is the memory of evil, which is kind that's what makes this, I think, stand a, a little higher than these other westerns that might have been great for their time technically proficient you know we're not really seeing the good guy and bad guy fight it's like this town beat the bad guys five years ago yes and they've kind of settled into their comfortable life but the the evil is coming back and it actually is a harder choice for the town now than it was five years ago Mm -hmm. which is fascinating five years ago they had nothing to lose it wasn't safe Right. The town was in shambles. Yeah. They was, there was nothing. There's nowhere to go but up. Yeah, it was a rough town. Now, five years of complacency, yep. of letting their children roam free, of having a booming economy, of investment from these outside sources, and suddenly they're like, well, maybe it won't be so bad when the dangerous outlaw comes back. You know, oh, he had some, you know, the town, you know, the hotel owner openly misses, you know, when he was in town. Like... I adore the tiny interactions in this film. There are characters who only show up for one scene yeah. who clearly have a deep history and yeah. a deep relationship with these characters, and I love that that all comes out naturally through the script. It is just a very, very, very tight script 
All of these are well-drawn portraits of people who, you know, yes, they're in the Old West, but, like, these are your neighbors today. You can see they're, they're broad strokes because you can see who they are. They Ooh. all fall into class goals. There's a guy with a white picket fence. They, they've literally built picket fences yeah. in, in the last five years. There's a huge scene at the church. Uh, and, yes, the kids are always kind of in the mid-range background. They don't really speak, but they're a part of the town. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's a Spoiler? Can we talk about? I think the statute of limitations. <laughs> when you get past seventy years, I think you're good on spoilers for high noon. So you know what they decide is the opposite of what I was fed month after month in the 1980s. Right, the 1980s and and that kind of action pick that we think of of Stallone and uh, Bruce Willis was always like, well, there's one man and he's going to stop everything. Right. Yeah. But that's not High Noon. That's not Gary Cooper, actually. That, that might be a surface reading of this movie. But all of those 80s, 90s action picks, you know, Tom Cruise gets kicked out of his spy agency but still has to bring down everything by himself. Okay, that's, that's just a version of Superman. This is a different story because Gary Cooper finds out that his friends that have built this town around his act of bravery five years ago, now think, you know, it'd be better if you just left. Like, they don't want to fight the bad guy again, and their solution is to throw him overboard. They're like, dude, leave town. Yes. <laughs> what I love is, I shouldn't have said before it was, it was good and evil, because there are there is a tiny bit of ambiguity thrown in, just enough to make you, you know, think about what's being said here, which is that, this all really could come down to just a personal grievance between yeah. him yep. and this criminal. And what Cooper does that's so fantastic is he doesn't actually really... I mean, this might actually be an accidental product of him not being like the super best actor that's ever lived. But <laughs> you don't really quite get a read on like, oh, I've got to go back for for justice to, to stop this rampaging criminal. It could also be he's just going back to get rid of this guy. Like he thought he'd get rid of him once... And he's going back again because he's just got to get rid of him again. Well, that's the only... So that turns into almost Charles Bronson, right? Yeah. In in Death Wish. And, yeah. and and the things that Liam Neeson does about, yeah. like, it's a personal vendetta revenge yeah. thing. And that's actually about the only reasoning you get from Cooper. He really doesn't say much in this picture. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's because he's really not an actor. He, he just kind of... He has a good walk, right? His physical presence is, is a lot because he's tall. He's very well-worn at this point in his career. In fact, his career was almost dead when he was given this role. But watching it again, this is probably my third time watching High Noon, and I just had the least amount of feeling for him this time. Yeah. Because it's really the story of the whole town. Yes. And, you know, he just keeps saying over and over again, well, I've got to. No, actually, you don't. (laughs) And the only reason he finally gives to Grace Kelly, who plays his way too young wife, I don't know, we got to talk about Grace Kelly, but he just says, well, if we keep running and go make this store like you, my Quaker wife, want, right? I've hung up my guns. He's literally saying this in the wagon as they're leaving town at the beginning of the movie. If we run... He'll find us. This this guy will track us down because he hates me so much. And at that point, I won't have the town around me. That's the whole setup for the movie. He's like, if I have to fight this guy, I want my friends with me. We beat him once, we'll beat him again. And then, 
the movie goes in real time for the next hour and a half as everyone abandons him. Yes. He's like, well, we got to stick here because it's civilization and I've got a better shot in civilization. And civilization doesn't want him civilization around! Civilization just crumbles <laughs> as he walks towards it. He's like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. So it's, I, man, just some of the interplay. <laughs> like, I just love, oh, man. You know who the toughest character in this movie is? The woman from Mexico. Oh, yeah, no, she's great. She's awesome. I, 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 again, there's just so many great little, like, smaller parts in this film that add up to the tapestry of a real living, breathing town. Like, I really get the sense that these people all have history with each other. They all know each other. They see each other at church or they don't go to church, but then someone notes that they don't go to church. Like, like all of this stuff comes up, and it's usually yeah. just one single line of dialogue or two little yeah. signs of dialogue, but it's like seeing, um, scuffs on a car you're like oh that's a this, nice reference you know if that's you see a, a brand new car okay that car doesn't have any history it doesn't you know it comes from wherever it's just fresh off the lot these are you know everyone's still operating all these things still function but they've banged up against each other they've yeah. probably had disagreements they've you know there's like again even the even gary cooper's character used to be with the mexican woman Helen Ramirez is the character's name, played by longtime Mexican actress Katie Jardo, but that's not even her name. They simplified, you know, her beautiful Spanish name down so that, like, Hollywood could deal with it. But she even, in 1952, has a very progressive role in that she owns property, Mm -hmm. right? She's hired a white guy to be the front for this store that she owns in town. Yeah. And, you know, she has all these different relationships. Uh, and she's the one who tells Grace Kelly, look, this is what you have to do if you're married to this guy. She she was the most interesting character on my third watch. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's I, I just love, I'm going to keep using this word because it really is, this tapestry of this town where everyone has, like, these different opinions and everyone has these histories with each other. Like, I love the scene where Cooper goes in to the bar. And, you know, they're talking about, you know, he's going to get wiped out by this criminal guy. But then when he starts talking with them, I think there's, there's, my personal interpretation is when he first walks in and starts talking with them, he might be able to get some people out of here. But then the barkeep needles him and he smashes him in the face. Police brutality. And then the whole bar is like, no, we're, no, uh uh-uh. You're supposed to be the better example and you just punch the bartender in the face for needling you a little bit. Like, no, we're not with you anymore. Which really confirms that this is just a personal vendetta. So I remember as a younger person watching High Noon first and then a second time and really putting it into that framework of, you know, what is government? How do you make decisions? How do you stick together in the face of evil? I wanted that interpretation, and I think that's what, you know, the film school people apply to this. But boy, on the third watch, that scene, right, where he just gives in to his own personal feeling, and the fact that the judge leaves right away. (laughs) One of the first significant scenes after Cooper has come back, put on his star, which he's not authorized to do. Yep. Okay? They had their government plan... So that he gets married, he hangs up his star, he leaves town, they have the deputy watch overnight, and the new marshal shows up tomorrow, right? So the government has spoken. Cooper's the one who takes over, mm-hmm. you know, and is the extra legal here, yes. just as much as the bad guys. At one point, when he's uh, talking to somebody uh, in the church, somebody says, why didn't you arrest the three bad guys that are waiting for the main bad guy out at the train station? He says, well, they haven't done anything wrong. Except Cooper's already outside the legal framework himself. Yeah. 
and causes his own island to keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And, yeah. and I love the judge, played by a long time, again, veteran character actor in Hollywood, uh, who like literally takes the flag off the wall. Like he's taking the government with him. Yes. He's like, look. He's like, uh, if I was a judge of this town, I'll be a judge in another town, hopefully. <laughs> he packs up his law books and off he goes. He doesn't think twice. Yeah. He's out of there because he's like, look, I did my part. You know, you arrested him. We got the gang. We convicted him and we sent him up north, right, to a stronger prison. Yeah. And they commuted his sentence to life instead of hanging him. And now he's been pardoned and let free. So this judge is like, look, if the rest of the system isn't working, I'm out of here. So I am willing to talk about this in that broad film school, like societal government way, because. The judge sort of puts it back to like, okay, who, how many of us need to stand up to make it a government? Mm-hmm. Me watching it the third time, as soon as the judge leaves, everything really starts to fall apart. <laughs> right? It's not Cooper keeping a government. He is extra legal by putting the star back on. And then the judge leaves. So immediately in this movie, there are major problems. And it really just comes down to... Some guys want revenge, revenge against Cooper. Yeah. And yeah. do I root for that? I'm not sure I do. Mm. How about that? Well, I think maybe to, to add a bit of fuel to your fire, I do think it's quite interesting that if this was about the law, if this was about you know standing for something higher for government, then, I mean, at the end, <laughs> Cooper's taking care of these four bad guys, and then he throws this extra legal badge down like... Dude, you know, stay the night. The new marshal's not here till tomorrow. Like, you, right. this town's in anarchy right now. Yeah. No, but this is totally self-serving. No, and then he's just out. He's outie. He's like, no, I gotta go. I gotta go bang Grace Kelly. Like, no, it's it's. So I love Grace Kelly, but she is too young. This, she's miscast. She's miscast. She's only what twenty-one. Yeah. In the filming of this, and and she and Cooper are having an affair. This movie's being filmed. It's crazy. Gross. <laughs> it's just crazy. And she's given lines, you know, where she's supposed to actually counterbalance this old lawman, right? This gunslinger with her Quakerism, but she's so young. I mean, it's not even idealism. She just has no weight. Yeah, she, she's she's uh, literally parroting things that have been told to her. Ugh, it's, it's embarrassing. You, you need a woman... <laughs> I like Grace Kelly like five, six, eight years later, right, where she's doing stuff with Cary Grant. She has more maturity. Uh, her She has more wisdom in her. I mean, she was always kind of an ingenue just because of the way she looked, but, but uh, this is her first film role, and she's too young. If, I, if I'm writing the <laughs> this role... This is crazy. If I'm writing the role, I think you've got to make her... Make her a widow who's remarrying. Oh. Because then she's like, look, I have lost, you know, so one husband to, to this garbage. Yeah. And you are not going to drag, you know, like I am leaving because I'm not, you know, religion is oh. a part of this. But really, I'm leaving because I'm not going to watch another husband die in the dirt, you know. Yeah, that's the Or maybe best he scene. could have been an original member of his posse. Like maybe oh. they confronted the bad guys, they brought him in, but... You know, they uh, talk about in the first part how people got hurt that first time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And maybe it could be Grace Kelly's character's yeah. old husband. Yeah. You know, and then over the five years, you know, maybe he's just consoling her, helping her out. Right. It blossoms and, into yes, romance. That makes perfect sense. This just feels false and forced. Well, we also don't get any sense of, like, 
her family in the town. No. We get to know everyone else's family no. in the town. But it's like, who's Grace Kelly's family? Where's her mom? Where's her dad? No. Where's her, you know, Well, sibling? she could be completely outside the town. I, we don't know. She's we have just, no idea. She's, she's two-dimensional. She's, she's, just, she's just, I mean, props to the uh, costuming department who just dress her all in white, <laughs> head to toe. Like, I understand it's a wedding, but wedding. like, really? Yeah. Yeah. She's just like this perfect... Desert flowers, yeah, like like yeah. in she's, all the frills. And she's like a Barbie. She's yeah. a porcelain doll. It's yeah. terrible. No, and like no, it's it's just ridiculous. But so that was my real disappointment on the third watch was just how light that character is. Yeah, and, and it just doesn't hold the space that it's supposed to. Yeah. Although we really did love that scene where the two women, <laughs> the two women who have loved Gary Cooper. Are on the buckboard leaving town. Yeah, no, we love that. Like, he's standing in the middle of the street by himself because he's got to be, you know, justice and oh, do the right thing. They're like, yeah, no, we're out. Like, I love that. I love that. I love that they're just like, mm, you could have, you know, you could have one or maybe both of us, but now we're gone, you know? like it's, Because we're not stupid. We're not stupid, you know? Props <laughs> to the ladies, man. They, they got out of there. It's, um, I will also say uh, this is only a problem in hindsight. I, I don't actually blame the director or, or the casting or anything like that. But um, oh, now I'm forgetting his name. Help me out. Weird nose man. Oh, Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lee Van Cleef. That's Lee. shame on me. I lose a, I lose a corner of my totem chip for that. Yeah, Lee, I do. <laughs> Lee Van Cleef is in this as uh, one of the members of the bad guy posse who doesn't say a word. What a criminal waste. Of Cleef. Yeah, and I he's think this so is... so badass, even I, just in the background of this movie. Well, he's the first guy you see. The movie opens with him sitting under some trees outside of town, waiting for the other bad guys to show up he and He looks like him. the evil Marlboro man. <laughs> he's like, yeah, smoke cigarettes, kids. <laughs> so when you see just that opening shot of him by himself, he looks evil. Yeah. He should have been the leader of the gang because... Quite frankly, for me, the movie really starts to fall apart. You know, the women leave, and then the the alleged terrible guy, right, who's been let out of prison that everybody fears that we've been talking about for an hour and 20 minutes, he shows up and he looks like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, he's just some schlub. He's just some <laughs> dude. He's just like... Yeah, boys, you got everything ready for me. And they're just like, yeah, sir, your jaws are looking especially fine today, sir. He, like, he just looks like an insurance salesman. Yeah, you know, no. They should have made Lee the bad guy, but this was 1952 Hollywood, and Lee was too ugly. He he actually looked too dangerous, yeah. but he was clearly the person who should have been cast as the guy getting off the train. Yeah, no. Muskrat in a human body. He <laughs> some sort of weasel marsupial thing. <laughs> And he never says a word in the whole Not thing. Not one word. And I was way more scared of him than of whoever got off the train. There's I don't even nothing scarier than a bad guy who plays the harmonica. There's something about that. And you're just like, oh, bad. He's bad. He plays the harmonica. That's, that's really bad. Yeah, yeah. no. But so. I, I do think the movie overall hangs together. Like oh, I'm right on the line. I don't know oh, that I can man. recommend this. I think, oh, I think man, it's 51% I, for me, but keep going. I really think it does. I mean, I could also be grading on a curve because the last Western <sighs> I watched was a John Wayne piece of garbage. And we hate Wayne. Yeah. Who hated this Who movie, hated this movie, by the way. What a prick. <laughs> so this movie was done as an allegory about all of the McCarthyism, right? Yeah. The, the Cold War scares yeah. that white supremacists and reactionary fascists used the fear of communism to persecute people of color, liberals, 
educated people. And, you know, this all blew up in Hollywood as well uh, with the blacklist and the gray list. So, you know, this movie was cast and made in direct response to the way that liberals were being persecuted by reactionaries. Well, guess who's the reactionary who's leading the charge? It's John Wayne. Ugh, what a jerk. It's, it's just like... <laughs> and again, I think this movie could be harsher on that. You know, I think it could maybe hit that drum yeah, a little bit more. I, I think, think so. Uh, but I, I really, I don't know. I give the movie a lot of credit. I think the script writing is still really strong. I think there's just a lot... I think what's really cool about this film is that, again, it it's not quite in real time, but it does trick you into feeling like it's, it's real really time. It's really close. And I really love, and I'm always I'm always a fan of movies that can do this. It really feels like it could be a stage play as well. Like you can do yes. this on stage. Yes, and that's you true. really, I mean, the script really relies on the strength of these like one to two scene parts. Well, and talk about the number of shots. You were really impressed to learn... They did 400 shots in four weeks. That's 100 shots in seven days. Yeah. That is insane. That's insane for today. Yeah. For 52, when they're filming this, I don't know what those hours look like. That's not union work, baby. Like, that is... (laughs) So what that produces is a movie that really does move very quickly. Yeah. It feels like real time to me because... They're just these little quick beats, right? Yes. Just just a, a quick scene of like somebody looking out the window mm-hmm. or a husband and wife looking at each other silently after the husband has just given completely into cowardice. He's made his wife lie for him to not help Cooper. Yep. And that's just one scene. It lasts maybe 10 seconds, but they set up, they shot it, and it tells the story of part of the town. There's so much of that. And then I think that's what pushes it over the edge for me is that like you've got the old retired lawman who Cooper's yep. character looked up to, and that guy does a fantastic job. You've got the 30 seconds between Cooper and the town drunk, you know, letting yeah, him go. That's like nice. the, we always talk about the details. Yeah. This movie is filled with fantastic filled. human details. Somebody figured out like when it's set because there's no title card to tell you. And it's like an eight-year range. I mean, just I forget how they figured this out. But I noticed a detail that on the wedding day, there's still a placard on the wall, right, of this kind of government room building that they're in that is Lincoln's call for volunteers after the firing on Fort Sumter, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So that's 1861, but I think the earliest they figured this movie could be is 1867. So even there, there's kind of this wrinkle of being lived in. Yeah. Right? This town has a history before we join it. Mm-hmm. And then you get all of these details that don't feel like we joke about Basil Exposition, right? Yeah. And sometimes you just run into these scenes in movies where they just dump stuff on you because they didn't figure out a better way to fill yeah. you in. Yeah. But this movie moves right along with without any really big dumps. I mean, people are talking to each other all the time, but there are all kinds of details. The shots are quick, and you're you're watching the clock with everybody else. They keep yeah. cutting back to the clock. And you're like, oh, he's only got ten minutes to save his rear end now. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> there's so much in this that is yeah, there's exposition, but it, it feels like exposition that would naturally come up in the course of conversation. It's like, yes. okay, you remember this like five years ago? I'm reminding you about this so that I can make my point at the end of this Correct. sentence. Like yeah. it, man, I just really I think there is something to be studied in how 
You know, we always talk about no small roles. Yes. Everyone in this has some part to play. Uh, yes. Shout out to Jeff Bridges' dad. Yeah. Who would, you know, go on to kind of be this beloved character actor guy. But in here, he's still kind of young. He's, he's very young. He's pretty fresh-faced. And I, yeah. I see in this Hollywood seeing, okay, can he maybe graduate to leading man? And he does. So this is Lloyd Bridges, uh, yeah. somebody that I've always liked. But here he plays a really interesting character because he's a guy who's just uh, desperate to be a leader. But, of course, the more he claws at it, the more people just keep rejecting. He has yeah. a terrible day. No, he has like the worst day. He might have a worse day than Gary Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Loses his job. Yeah. Loses a girl. Yeah. Loses a fight to his former boss. Yeah, that's bad. And doesn't even get to participate in like the big like final showdown. The big showdown. He's, he has nothing to do with he's it. He's like clocked out. He's like <laughs> he's like unconscious in a barn somewhere. Like yeah. it sucks, dude. It totally sucks. Like, but he plays that role really well. He you, plays a role really well. Right, somehow they figured out that this should be a hot day, so you can see the sweat. Everyone is sweating. Everybody's sweating, and and it really applies to his character because he's like trying to figure out this puzzle because he has this ambition. But the more he reaches for it, the more it eludes him. Yes. Right? And he's almost Gatsby. To the point where, like, he's then in, like, a bar drinking a whole bottle. And, like, all the bar people are like, oh, you lost your job. You lost your girl. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, actually, the, the talking about the heat, that reminds me. You know what movie I think, I think we have a real parallel here. Mm. And I think this is a, a dangerous point to make with five minutes left on our clock here. But uh, just like High Noon, I'll try and beat the clock here. I see a lot of parallels between this and do the right thing. Oh, I see a that's lot cool. of parallels. Keep going. It's one hot day yep. in a community uh -huh. with lots of bit players yes. who contribute to that final climax in very different ways. Mm -hmm. And by the time you get to the final inciting incident mm -hmm. that is going to either damn or save this community, mm -hmm. you know where everyone's coming from at that point. Mm -hmm. Everyone everyone has been accounted for. Mm -hmm. And I think Actually, not a man. I'm getting stronger about this as I think about it. Yeah, like you've cool. got the business people, you've got the people who are you know working for the establishment, but you know kind of on the peripheries, like Harv, yeah. like the Lloyd Bridges character, right, like right. you know there's. That's a great connection. I think it's all you know. There's the <laughs> there's even the implied inappropriate relationship between you know one of the main characters and a younger woman. Like it's all there's know, police brutality. There's police brutality. It's it's <laughs> I don't know. I think. I would be very interested. I mean, I'd always love to talk with Spike Lee. Spike, if you ever want to come on the podcast, please. We're big fans. Props. Um, props. Always props to Spike. But I would love to know if Spike was consciously or unconsciously thinking of High Noon when making... Because yeah. yeah. he's he's a studied guy. Yeah. He knows this stuff. He, he, he did the film school thing. And yeah, the uh, Do the Right Thing plays out over the course of one day. Yeah. So a it's hot not day. Another a hot, hot day. day. It's not in real time, but it's it's a very concentrated... Yeah. Well, and you can also see where where Spike, again, if he isn't, if he is consciously or unconsciously in dialogue with High Noon, you can see where Spike takes it one step further. Where you see the day after, yeah, mm -hmm. which I think yeah. I, I would really love. I think another point in this movie's favor to kind of get us off of the um, do the right thing track is I am curious mm. to know more. And I think that's always a mark in a movie's favor when I want to know more. I would love to see a prequel to this film. That is the mm -hmm. original incident. Yep. I would love to see a sequel to this film where it follows the new Marshall. The new Marshall who comes in the up. next yeah. day and goes, 
What the hell just happened? <laughs> Why are these bodies in the middle They're of Main Street? They're just rotten. <laughs> what is happening here? Yeah. There used to be a, f a flourishing hotel here a day ago, and now it is, you know, just in complete disrepair. What is going on? Who burned down the barn? Yeah. I would love that. that would I would love the, yeah. the, the outsider. Uh, no, actually, well, that's my... true. That's a, so that makes a good story. I, I will recommend High Noon, but yeah, yeah. It, it's just uh, interesting how my evaluation, like my, my esteem for the Cooper character is way down on the third watching. My esteem for the Grace Kelly character is way down, but I like all of the stuff around them. I, I really, I would very strongly advocate for this stays in the canon. I okay. really think this is... I would show this to a member of my generation. I'd show this to a member of well, Gen Z. And... It's also, you know, giving the finger to Wayne, who, like, oh, yeah, 20 no. years later, 20 years later was complaining about this movie. Real estate in his head for free. <laughs> what a loser. Um, actually, the only the only final thing I've got to get in before we, we, we close out here, my biggest complaint with the film mm. is, I, I mean, I, get, I share some of your, your problems, but, you know, I think it, it holds together well enough. My problem is that they hit the theme song four times. It's constant. Four times you yeah. got to hear this stupid theme song, yeah. and this is apparently the movie that innovates the ooh the western theme song. So unforgivable crime. Yeah. Absolutely reprehensible. In fact, except, out of the canon for that alone. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was one of its four Oscars. Oh my god. This dude. movie wins four, that's, two for music. Look, even in '52, that song sucks. Like it, in no, it oh does. my god. It's, like it's could terrible. you be more literal? Could yeah. you be more literal? Like, oh, you wrote a song that ties in with the movie. No, it's literally naming characters' names in the movie. Like, yeah, yeah. that sucks, dude. This I've got to kill old Jim Miller. Like, it's, it's the stupidest thing. I And they hit that thing four times. It's constant. It's more egregious every time. Like, you want to do it over the opening credits? Fine. I understand. You got money. You know, we got albums to sell. We got records to sell. Yeah, yeah. By the time you're hitting it, like, when he's just walking around the town in the third act, I'm like, dude... I'm going to put every copy of this 45 in a wood chipper when I see it. Like I'm going to go to thrift stores, find this single, and yeah. buy them to burn them. Yeah. It's not a great song. Oh, my God. It sucks. Well, it's the um, producer's dad or something? No, no, no. The guy who sings this song is the father of noted 70s comedian John Ritter, the star of Three's Company. Great. Thanks, Tex Ritter. <laughs> If that is your real if name. If, in fact, that is your real name. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, I'm I'm for the canon. I'm saying it stays in. Uh, I will put it in as well. A half-hearted shove into the canon. Uh, just to screw with John Wayne. Just to screw with John Wayne from beyond the grave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, folks, I'm Samuel. And I'm Bentley. And this has been the Re... View... Podcast. podcast.